Today, the family is under unprecedented attack, and we are going to address how important it is to build strong families on this edition of Kingdom Currents. I want to thank you for tuning in to Kingdom Currents. Uh, My name is Glenn Schultz. I serve as the host for this podcast. And today I'm I'm going to start a, a series of podcasts that show the importance of establishing strong families. Uh, when you think of uh, the family as God's first ordained and defined institution uh, to bring about just societies, we, we see how important it is to make sure our families are strong. Uh, a little background as to why I believe the family is under such a vicious attack today. Uh, I can remember uh, reading and understanding how Satan was one of God's archangels, and he, he decided that he wanted to go and be God. And so he leads a revolt uh, in heaven, and, and we find in Ephesians uh, a passage that says, uh, that there is a uh, cosmic battle going on that is in the heavenlies. And, and that is that battle in the heavenlies took place uh, when Satan rebelled against God, and Satan and about a third of the uh, angelic host uh, fell from heaven. When God created uh, this world, and he created man in his image, Remember, he created man, male and female, uh, in his image, and in establishing uh, man and woman together, he he established the institution of the home, of the family. Uh, A man and a woman come together as husband and wife, and as they become one uh, flesh, it says in Scripture, then if God uh, so blesses them, uh, they reproduce God's image uh, in children, and the family is the result. Well, because Satan still wants to be God, I believe that as soon as uh, man was created in God's image, Satan set his sights on, on destroying that image bearer of God. And we know that Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, and they sinned, and sin entered this world. But not only was Satan's attack uh, on Adam and Eve, but I believe it was on the family, uh, because that was God's institution uh, to go and be the foundational building block of all society. And and with the fall, uh, we find that God also instituted the state, government. And I've often wondered, if the fall hadn't taken place, would the only institution that God would have had to put together would have been the family? Because there would be the family raising children in close relationship, intimate relationship with God the Father, and we would have had just societies. But but he had to establish uh, the state uh, to go and make up for the fallen nature of man and the brokenness of the family. And, and so we find ourselves with now the state is in place, the family is in place, and of course, with Christ coming and dying on the cross and resurrecting from the grave, 
we find the third institution established, and that's the church. And I believe God's uh, intent, his strategy right now, yes, we know he wants to devour individuals because he roams to and fro across the entire earth trying to see who he can devour. But I really believe he wants to destroy the family. He wants to control the state so he can weaken the church. And I believe Satan is convinced that if he can destroy the family, it'll make it easier for him to control the state. And when you get into the end of God's story uh, in Revelation, you find Satan in control of a one-world government. He is in total control of the state. You don't find much reference to the family or the church. So the attack on the family is part of Satan's ongoing strategy to become God, to, to supplant God in God's creation. And it's important that we understand how important the family is to not only the future of society, but, but also how important it is even to the church. Strong families make up strong churches. And so it's critical that we really give focus to building strong families. One of the real uh, major points that we focus on here at Kingdom Education Ministries is to go and empower parents through Kingdom Education. There, there's a passage of Scripture that is so important to this. It's found in Psalm 127, and it's verses 3 uh, through 5. And in that passage of Scripture, the psalmist writes the following, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And, and that one little phrase up in verse 3 is one that has intrigued me over the years, where God says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. Now, now I've talked to a lot of parents about this, and I asked them, do they believe this? And they very quickly, as Christian parents, say, oh yes, I believe that. The Bible clearly states that our children are a heritage of the Lord. But, but when I asked them, what do you mean by heritage of the Lord? They really have blank expressions. They, they know it's in the Bible, but they have no clue what it means. And I think we can paraphrase this in a way that will really bring meaning and importance to that phrase. When it says, children are heritage of the Lord, you, you basically could uh, uh, paraphrase that with these words. Children... God's homework assignment to parents. See, all of us understand homework assignments. And when I think of homework assignments, my mind immediately goes back to my sophomore year in college. At the time, I, I wasn't planning on going into teaching and ministry. I, I was planning on becoming a doctor. So I was a pre-med major, which meant that I had to get straight A's in all my math and science classes. In my sophomore year, I, I signed up for college calculus. When I got my uh, schedule, I found out that college calculus met 8 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
uh, an unearthly time for any college class, much less college calculus. But I was going to get my A. So on Monday morning, I showed up. I sat up in the front. Uh, The professor came out and he lectured on calculus for an hour. I, I took strong notes. And when he ended the class, he gave us a sheet of paper with 10 problems on it. And he said, class, this is your homework assignment. So that night, Monday night, I stayed up in my dorm and completed all 10 problems in calculus. I walked into calculus class Wednesday morning. I had my homework in hand. Professor got up. He lectured for an hour. And at the end, he gave us another sheet with 10 problems on. And he said, class, this is your homework assignment. I thought he must be one of those absent-minded professors who uh, forgot that he gave us an assignment uh, the the class before. But anyway, I I stayed up that Wednesday night, and I did all 10 problems. When I came into class on on Friday, I expected to turn in the homework or, or review it, do something with it. But the professor once again got up, lectured for an hour. Then he gave us another sheet with 10 calculus problems on it and said, This is your homework assignment. While I'm sitting in my dorm room on a Friday night doing calculus, the thought goes through my mind that my mama didn't raise a fool. Uh, This man lectures for the whole hour. Uh, He gives us uh, a list of 10 problems for homework each class period, but he doesn't do anything with them. He doesn't check them. He doesn't grade them. He doesn't collect them. He does nothing with them. So, So I stopped doing college calculus problems for homework. Now, now I still made sure I knew how to do all of them. But, but for three weeks, the same procedure went every single class period. He, gave, he lectured for the hour. He went and gave us 10 problems and said it was your homework assignment. Now, I did the first two, but I just made sure I could do all the others. I didn't actually do the assignments. He announced our first test, and so I prepared hard for that test. I had studied well. I knew how to do all the problems. I I felt pretty good. And I walked into the class, and he handed out the test. Now, to understand my personality, uh, when I get a test in a class, I'm sort of a test flipper. I I flip through and say, you know, should I stay or should I not? Uh, And as I flipped through the test, I realized not only was I... going to get an A. But I knew the answer to every single problem, I was going to get a perfect paper. And when the professor said to start, I I just flew into that test. And I was going along really well and doing good. And then the professor interrupted and he said, now class, when you turn in your test, make sure you turn in all your homework assignments. They will be 50% of your grade. As you can tell, I failed that first test. But I, I learned such an important uh, lesson, especially as a parent, that whenever I'm given an assignment to do, it is my responsibility to do that assignment fully, even when it's not checked on, because someday it's going to be uh, called in for a grade. Now, when I apply that uh, to parenting, And I I look at uh, the three children that God gave me as three homework assignments to me and my wife, Sharon. To this day, God never showed up on a Tuesday morning and said, I'm here to check on your homework, see how you're doing. Or on a Saturday evening, uh, just to 
stop in and say, well, let me give you a partial grade right now. That hasn't happened. Uh, I have just gone on and I've realized that even though God doesn't seem to check on what I'm doing with my homework assignment of raising my children, God expects me to do it the way he assigns it to us, and we need to understand that. Now, when you think of uh, how are we doing as parents in raising children the way God wants us to, I I can remember reading a description of the youth culture uh, by a man, and, and let me read it to you. And as you listen to these words, I want you to ask yourself, is this a pretty accurate description of our youth today? This man wrote, We are sending forth graduates with diffused minds, scarcely fit to take command of their own lives or to cooperate in the development of a social state. They are drifters into conformity and essential human futility. They're easy victims to specious crowd psychologies and followers of what seem easy ways out. Does that sound familiar? He went on to say, They esteem themselves only creatures of their environment, and so they tend to become just that. They've been taught that they evolved from animals. They have little or no perception of standards, especially of these three, of truth, beauty, and goodness. They have no goals of purposeful perfection with which to estimate uh, values or by which to gauge achievement. All things to them are relative, but relative not to absolutes, only to expediency. Then he talks about those three qualities, and listen to what he says has taken place with these three attributes in the youth culture. He says, truth means to them little more than a body of observable facts. Beauty means little more than conformity to fashion. And goodness is doing those things that will make one comfortable or popular. He completed his description by saying, Out of our most able youth, capable of high adventure, we are manufacturing mental and ethical jellyfish. Now, I I want you to know, um, when I read that, it just broke my heart. Because that's the youth culture that I see as a teacher with my students in the classroom. But but what really crushed my spirit was to understand that President Bell of St. Stephen's College penned those words in 1927. And since that time, our kids have lost so much. Even though we we listen to that quote that they're that they're followers of what seem easy ways out. They're they're just uh, conformity to subjective expediency where they see beauty as just the latest fashion and nothing more. It's just sad to hear that. But I entered school back in the 50s. And since that time, a lot of changes have taken place in education. And these changes have made some significant difference in the lives of children. 
And several years ago, I came across a short description of some of the loss that children with kids had experienced since the 1950s. And having lived through these decades, I knew these losses were a reality, and I actually included them in my book, Kingdom Education. Now, again, remember, Satan wants to destroy the family, so it's important that parents... Uh, understand that raising their children, that, that their children are God's homework assignment to them. And we've got to do a biblical job in raising them in the way God wants us to so they don't become like what President Bell described in his youth culture or what these kids have lost. Listen to these losses of these kids have gone through over the decades. This person wrote, and it was an anonymous person, in the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics and music that gave rise to a new term, the generation gap. In the 60s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protests. Church, state, parents were called into question and found wanting Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. Then in the 1970s, kids lost their love. It was the decade of meism dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self, self self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a lonely world. Kids learned everything there was to know about sex, but forgot everything there was to know about love, and no one had the nerve to tell them there was a difference. And then this anonymous person wrote and finalized it this way. In the 1980s, kids lost their hope. Stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare, large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. You know, when I revised Kingdom Education, I realized that our kids had lost something more during the decade that we had just come through. And so I added to this list of losses, which this person had written in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And in the 90s, I think our kids lost something again. And I wrote this. In the 1990s, kids lost the meaning of truth. It was the decade when our national leaders redefined truth to be merely that which was legally accurate. Public opinion polls define moral truth, while the church sat by quietly and watched. That's a lot of losses that these kids have gone through. A couple of years ago, I received an email from someone who had just finished reading Kingdom Education, and that person asked me if I thought kids had lost anything more since I wrote the book, because, you know, now we're in the 2020s. And at first, I didn't think so, but I wanted to think more about it. And after thinking carefully about what has taken place uh, during uh, this time from the turn of the millennium uh, until the 2010s, uh, here's what I added, some more losses. In the 2000s, kids lost their faith. Having lost the meaning of truth and the growing threat of terror attacks, This generation lost their faith in the truth of God's word and found their lives being driven by fear. Then I wrote in the 2010s, 
kids are in the da- are in danger of losing their future, being driven by fear and not by faith. A growing number of this generation is frantically chasing the false claims of the American dream. They are living only for the temporal and therefore are chasing after treasures on earth only to find them decaying before their very eyes. They are finding life to be full of despair and are quickly losing any sense of eternity. Just a little while ago, I started reflecting what has taken place in the first three years of this decade. And I sat down and sadly wrote the following. In the 2020s, kids are losing their identity. Having lost the reality of God and the concept of absolute truth, they are being told that they must find their own sense of purpose in life. They end up determining who and what they are based solely on their feelings, even if it does not match reality. Today's young people no longer know what it means to be human. All of these attacks on these young people, all of the losses that they have experienced over the decades, which really is a result of the education that they've received, a secular education. When we think of President Bell's description of the youth being just people who go by conformity to fashion and just go what's most expedient and and they they base everything on relative standards. They don't believe in absolutes. They really are becoming mental and ethical jellyfish. When we see all this, it's all aimed at trying to destroy the family. So, so over the next couple of episodes of Kingdom Currents, I, I want to really dig in and say, what do we need to do to build strong families? Uh, what does kingdom education have to say about that? And as we dig into scripture and we start looking at some of the principles of kingdom education, I think we're going to find uh, some sense of purpose and hopefully we can restore some victories to our kids' lives. We can give them real meaning to life. And so I hope that you will just make it a note that over the next few weeks, you will not miss uh, one episode of Kingdom Currents as we talk about how to build strong families. Until then, may God bless you in all that you do. I'm Holly Barnes, and I work at Northwest Christian School as the Director of Marketing. I want to tell you about Frameworks. Northwest Christian School has made Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, or homeschool. Frameworks has developed these courses using subject matter experts and curriculum from Summit Ministries, Young Life, Likewise Worship, and many others. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com. <laughs>